0: Turn to Exodus 31 if you're not there yet. Exodus 31. So we're on the home stretch. Today, we're going to look at the last two sections of God's instruction to Moses while he's on the Mount of Sinai. Okay, We've been there since the Ten Commandments, and he's still on Mount Sinai. We're going to finish the last two sections today. Next week, we're going to talk about Exodus 32 and then the following week, we're going to finish with the glory of God in Exodus 40. And so we'll, we'll be done with the book of Exodus and in um, the 23 sermons I promised you a long time. No, I'm just kidding. So. But um, let's, uh, let's stand together as we read God's Word. These last two sections, we learn how, while, while from an earthly perspective, it looks like we're doing the work, in reality... God's doing the work through his Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to see today. Verse number one, the Lord said to Moses, um, there we go. The Lord said to Moses, see, I've called uh, Bezalel. Now, I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to give you the pro- proper Hebrew. People are always asking me how do you pronounce these Hebrew words. I'm going to give you the pro- proper Hebrew pronunciation. Then I'm going to Americanize it after that, okay? So, technically, that you say, Betzal all L, that's L. It's a, it's a T-S sound, Betzal el the, the Z there, but we always just say Bezalel, right? And that's fine. The son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, I have filled him with the Spirit of God and with ability and intelligence and knowledge in all craftsmanship, to devise artistic de- designs, to work in gold, silver, bronze, in cutting stones for setting and carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed, now his name is a holy Av. there's a V sound at the end, we, we translate it in English to B, but it's actually a holy of, um, the son of, now that's a that's, uh, Samach. Okay, there's a guttural you language people can I I have a hard time with guttural sounds but language people you probably laughing at me. But uh we just say ahisamak, right? Right? We Americanize it of the tribe of Dan. I have given to all men the ability that they may make all that I have commanded. So these two gentlemen and more were empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the descriptions that you see in verses 3 and 4 are as true of Aholiof as it is of Bezalel. Okay, let's see, where are we? Verse number seven, and the tent of meeting, and the ark of testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table, and the utensils, the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering, With all its utensils and the basin and its stand and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, the garments of his sons for their service as priests and the anointing oil, the fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. Our Heavenly Father, uh, this is a message on the Holy Spirit. And so we admit that without your Holy Spirit here today, not any ministry is going to be done. And so, Lord, with that, knowing that, I pray that your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts, illuminate our minds to understand the work of the Holy Spirit to a greater degree, illuminate our understanding so that we know our gifting and calling are from you, and I pray then also that you will encourage us to be serving your body like you intended us to do in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much. So in this, in this section of instruction, we learn that it is the Spirit of God who enables us to serve God's people, and it is done for God's glory. Remember, the, the, what is the theme of this sermon series? Saved for, well, some of you got it, Five, 15 sermons in, Good. So I'm proud of you. The rest of you catch up. Save for God's glory, right? Save for God's glory. And so the the Holy Spirit enables us to serve His people, and it's all done for His glory. And so here's a principle. The work of God is accomplished by the Spirit of God. Universal principle, the work of God is accomplished by the Spirit of God. Think about this. The last time that we were in Exodus, we saw that the creation of the tabernacle reflected the creation account of Genesis 1 and 2. And so here we see another parallel. And I want you to to think about this. Let Let me give you this. Remember, we learned last time that the Holy Spirit was actively involved in the creation in Genesis 1 and 2. Then we saw that this, the uh, Holy Spirit was involved in the creation of the tabernacle. And so we see that just as God did His work in creation by the Spirit, so He did His work on the tabernacle. It's Spirit-empowered. Whether it's the creation of the world or the creation of the tabernacle, it is Spirit-empowered. Um, this, this tabernacle, remember, is a little Eden. Eden was created by the spirit The tabernacle, this little Eden, was created by the Spirit. And so God chose uh, Bezalel and Aholiab as his craftsmen, and their skill did not originate in themselves. Where did it originate? It originated in God. And that's a universal principle for all of us. This is something to remind ourselves and our children. All of our skills and abilities come from God. Therefore, instead of pride... We should be humbly thankful. All of our skills and abilities come from God. Teenagers, teens, I know there's a lot of you out here, and I'll look forward to seeing you tonight at, at Seoul, but teens, any ability that you have was given to you by God. Any mental ability, if your grades are better than your brothers and sisters, then that doesn't mean that you should well up in pride. Instead, you should be thankful and by the way, don't, well, no, we won't go there about mom and dad in your grades either. Um, all of your abilities, all of your musical talents, teens, all of your skills that you have with your hands, all your artistic abilities, all of these things were given to you by God. And he crafted you individually to have that from before the creation of the world, he did ordained that you would have the exact skill set that you have. Isn't that amazing? And he did it, teenager, because he wants you to spend your whole life glorifying God through the skills and abilities that he's given you. That's so important to understand. The the important truth to know from this section is that God gives us his spirit in order to accomplish his work. And so look more closely at the first two sentences of this chapter. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. And by the way, uh, the way the language is set up, that also includes Holy of even though it says him singular here. It's talking about the, both of these men. They have been filled with the Spirit of God. Now, You may not know this, but these are the first two individuals in all of Scripture that the Bible says were filled with the Spirit. Craftsmen. What does that tell you? What does that do for craftsmanship? It tells you that it was given to you by God. Craftsmen, we we tend to to elevate certain professions and abilities above others. We monetize them and everything else. But the fact of the matter is they were all given to individuals uh, by God and they are empowered by God. And these craftsmen were empowered by the Spirit of God to fulfill their task that He had given them. And I want you to notice two things. Notice two things about it. And I touched on this on the Wednesday email if you read it. Uh, I don't know if you read the Wednesday email or not. But verse number three, says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God with ability and intelligence and knowledge and all craftsmanship. The first thing to notice is that they were only given one thing. One thing, and that was the Spirit. They were given the Spirit. Now, the Spirit then perfected Batzalel's wisdom, insight, knowledge, and work performance in general. Do you get that? Let me say it one more time. He gave them the Spirit, and the Spirit then perfected and completed and, and enhanced the work that they did, their work performance in general. In other words, the way the filling of the Spirit of God affected these men was to enable them to be wiser and more thoughtful and more insightful and more knowledgeable and more capable of any sort of work that God has assigned them to do. And this, in turn, allowed him to work in such a way as to glorify God. And so, if you take your abilities, and you, are, you believer, are full of the Spirit of God, then in whatever you do, you can glorify God in the things that you do for Him. Because all work is spiritual work because you're filled with the Spirit of God. Now, next week in chapter 32, and this is very important for us to understand, we're going to meet men who use their talents and abilities to make idols. It's very, very important that you see that in chapter 31, there's two men who use their abilities to glorify God, And in the very next chapter, men use their abilities to make idols. And this is typical of the world, isn't it? It's typical for worldly people to take the good gifts that God has given and build themselves up. To create their own idols. To strengthen their own idols, whatever they happen to be. And never, ever give glory to God it drives me bananas well I don't watch sports anymore uh, but it drove me bananas when I would watch basketball uh, like college basketball and they would interview a player afterwards yeah I was on my game and I knew if I could do this I could do that and they're just talking and just building themselves up and I just want to tell the guy I'm your pastor understand this shut up God gave it to you right right because God gave all of our buildings. Teenagers, since I've been in Seoul and helping with soul, I've seen I've come to see some of you are extremely gifted. Artistically, seeing your artistic talent, it's 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 fun to see. It's fun to see your musical talent. Uh on Sunday nights, the stage is, is full of teenagers doing doing the same thing that the, the teens do on Sunday mornings. We see teenagers and their, their mental giftedness and, and the work that they have with their, their hands and teens. I want you to remember, the world, please listen teens, the world is going to tempt you to use those gifts to enrich yourself. They're going to tempt you to serve the idol of self don't do it. Yes, you can enrich yourself if God allows you to, but don't make that your goal. Make your goal with any gift you have, whether it's mental or working with your hands or whatever else it is, make your goal. God, I want to glorify you. I want to do it to the best of my ability. I want to run this race my whole life so that when I stand before you, I get eternal riches beyond all measure, and I hear God say, well done. That should be the goal of life of every teenager and every adult in this sanctuary. Now, the second thing that we see is that the Spirit gifted these men to build the tabernacle of God. Verse number 4. To devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting stones for setting and carving wood, to work in every craft. And I I could go on and on. I'm not going to reread the whole thing again. The Spirit gifted these men for the well being of all the people. It was was important for all the people of Israel to have a tabernacle that they could sit or, or they could camp around and worship God. Later on, it was the temple. And God gifted these men to build the tabernacle. And the same is true today. God gifts you, dear believer, to build his temple. We are the temple of God. Isn't that what the Bible says? We are this temple. And so you are gifted, dear believer, to build that temple. I'm going to talk more about that in application in just a little bit. I need to move on. I'm I'm, I'm, having a hard time keeping on track here because i just want to run there's so much to say we tend to think we tend to think only of like the speaking gifts as given by the holy spirit but according to this passage any skill that you possess that ministers to the body is spirit enabled and it doesn't matter what it is if it's the kitchen ministry Jan can do things in that kitchen that I could never do. I'm just the mouthpiece. I just get up here and blab, okay? I can't do what she does. The, the landscape people, the greeters, the nursery workers, the Sunday school teachers, you name it, whatever it is, the people that maintain the building, these are all gifts. And you may think, yeah, well, I'm just coming and I'm, I'm helping on church work day, No, you're ministering to the body because this is where we come corporately to worship. And so you are ministering to the body. See how important it is? It's it's all important. And so to understand that everything that we do for the body has to be done through the power of the Holy Spirit is more important than we can imagine. I want to walk through scriptures. And so take your Bibles. We're going to walk through scriptures. And I'm going to show you how critical this is. First of all, Turn to Isaiah eleven <clears> two. <throat> Isaiah eleven two, and I'm going to be very specific in how I'm going to do this because I'm going to be driving to a very specific point. Isaiah 11 Isaiah says more about the Messiah than all the other books, right? It's the pinnacle of Messianic prophecy. Notice what he says about the Messiah in Isaiah 11 And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him on who who are we talking about here this is christ the spirit of the lord shall rest upon christ the spirit of wisdom understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge doesn't that sound very much like these two men that were gifted all the way back in exodus 31 it sounds almost identical the same spirit the same uh uh things the uh results happen Wisdom and understanding and knowledge sounds very much like it. But the point is, the Spirit is resting upon him. Christ was empowered by the Spirit as well. Look at Isaiah 48 and verse number 16. Isaiah 48, 16. What you see that um, he was empowered by the Spirit. Notice the end of it. It says, and now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. And of course, all of us know Isaiah 61, verse number one, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And so we have these Old Testament promises or prophecies of a spirit-empowered Messiah. Now, did he minister in the power of the Holy Spirit? And the answer is, yes, he did from the very outset. Turn to John 1, 32 and 33. Now, if you were in my Sunday school class, this is about the only verse that I'm going to pull from that Sunday school lesson on the Holy Spirit. And if you weren't in my Sunday school class, shame on you. If you weren't in any Sunday school class, especially. But if you're not in any Sunday school class, then come to the alcove and uh, hear about the Holy Spirit. Come here and learn Bible doctrine and I think back in A8, right, John is, oh, it's over. All right, then everybody come on over to the alcove over in here. So, all right, John 1:32 says, um, "Let me catch up with my slides here." It says, "John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it what? Remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me." He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. (coughs) And so, here we see the beginning of his ministry, the Holy Spirit comes and remains on Jesus Christ. Now, what we find, and I'm just going to run through the Gospels real quick, Jesus was led by the Spirit, Luke 4 and verse number 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by, by the Spirit in the wilderness. So after John's event, after John one, where the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove, immediately that Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. Is what the Bible says. Then he's there forty days and forty nights. And Luke four fourteen says that he was empowered to speak the word of God because it says, "For he whom God sent, I'm sorry, uh, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee." And so Jesus has this Holy Spirit laid upon him at uh, his baptism. Immediately he's led out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Then he returns to Galilee and in, in speaks in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? You see, he was empowered by the Spirit to speak the Word of God. John three thirty four. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. God, Jesus is uttering the word of God through the spirit of God. And it seems also, and I don't have time to go into this, that the miracles were wrought by the spirit as well. The miracles that Jesus did were spirit-empowered miracles. After his transfiguration, remember when he went up to that mountain? Peter, James, and John went with him. And of course, the, the, the Jesus was transfigured. They fell on their faces and everything. The Bible says that they came back down most likely, they came in the Caesarea Philippi. It was only just a short little journey, like a, a few minutes, probably less than an hour's journey back from the point where he was most likely transfigured. They walk in, and there's this argument, and, and they, the disciples can't cast this demon out. And they ask him, why, why, why could you cast him out, but we could not? And he says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Anything but prayer. And why is prayer important? We're going to cover this in a minute. But Jesus said that it's God who gives it to us when we pray the Holy Spirit. You see, so he's telling them, you've got to pray, be empowered by the Holy Spirit in order for these demons to be cast out. So what I'm I'm trying to show you is that Jesus is our perfect example. He told his disciples that he is the true temple and his work was done through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he set the the pattern for us. Since we are the temple of God, if he worked in the power of God as the true temple, and now we are the temple of God, then how do we do our work? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Just like Jesus. Jesus was the pattern. Matter of fact, I'll say this. That is our only power. We have zero power. Outside the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? And so Jesus is our perfect example. Now, this is where it's going to get good this whole thing about the Holy Spirit. You know what Jesus, you know what his last words to disciples were on the Mount of Olives before he ascended? But you will receive power after what? The Holy Spirit has come upon you. Isn't that wonderful? We receive power, and that power is none other than the third person in the Trinity. It's the third person who actively created the world in Genesis 1 and 2, who empowered these men to create the tabernacle, and later on, the, it's the same thing with the temple. And so, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 100% of our power for ministry comes from the Holy Spirit. In this passage, it says that it's for evangelism and witness, but I want you to think about something else. Who were the first men in the church who were said to be chosen, who were, they were chosen by the church and they were full of the Spirit? You know who they were? They were deacons. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. And we will appoint them to this duty. And what duty was that? Kitchen. Seriously. Waiting tables. That's what they did. They fed the widows. See, Jan, that was perfect for you to be uh, doing the kitchen ministry today. Seriously. So we we like to think, man, if somebody's full of the Holy Spirit, there's just going to be these super awesome things happening. And life is mundane. It's not. that When you're full of the Spirit, that means that when you're changing diapers, and, and when you're doing the little things, and you're serving someone else, and you're, you're doing all these little things, these are all the Spirit-empowered things that we're doing. Isn't that wonderful? Every bit of it. The Holy Spirit is mentioned 64 times in the book of Acts. 64 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned. Look at it this way. The Holy Spirit builds the church. And what instruments does the Holy Spirit use to build? What tools does he use? You and I. Wonderful, isn't it? Now I'm not going to go around calling you a tool, okay? I won't do that. But we're the instruments in the Redeemer's hands. And so your work in the church, whether it's through your spiritual gifting or by using your spiritual or your skills and abilities, it's completed and perfected by the Holy Spirit. Remember, I said that all the way back in Exodus 31. The language is of God taking, the, He filled them with the Spirit, and then whatever they did was perfected by the Spirit, or completed by the Spirit. And it's the same thing in the church. Most gifts of the Spirit are not what we call sensational gifts. They're serving gifts. Almost all of the gifts are serving 1 Peter 4 tells us to use our gifts to serve one another. Uh, those who are filled with the Spirit, who are walking with Jesus, will gladly serve. They'll serve widows. They'll visit the sick. They'll care for the orphans. They'll make coffee on Sunday. They'll care for children in the nursery. They'll tutor a disadvantaged student, give generous offerings, and help those in needs. That's what somebody full of the Spirit does. But you know what the, the danger is? with with us and we've seen it over and over this is a danger that we have to watch out for and all of us have to watch out for this you ready the more i'm trying to think the best word to use intense maybe or the greater degree to which you have a skill or ability uh, whatever however great that is there's an equal temptation to not minister in the Holy Spirit and to use your gifts, isn't that true? It is, and we've seen it over and over you you, you think uh, these pastors with the golden tongues they they, they end up being spectacular failures in in certain areas. Why? Because they're not daily in the word uh, pleading with the Holy Spirit because they're they're relying upon the tongue that God's given them rather than the Spirit who empowers that tongue. And the same thing with all your ministries, every single bit of it. Teens, let me say this. Some of you have, your gifting runs very, very high. Okay? Some of you. There, there's going to be a temptation one day for you to do your work in the church, whatever church you end up uh, landing in as an adult, and to do it through natural abilities rather than empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm just here to say, don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, w- with, with our own children, <clears throat> uh, we have, they have different giftings. We have one who I, I would call uh, fairly brilliant. And so we, we remind that one all the time, look, God gave this to you. Be humble and allow the Holy Spirit to use that gift, that particular gift that God gave you for His glory and don't allow the praise of men to cause you to well up in pride we have to remind our children that don't we we compliment our children i am so proud of you because you did this because it is a gift from god but then you you occasionally balance it out not every time but occasionally balance it out remember god gave you the, so we you should be thankful and you should be humble about it have i beat that horse enough you want to keep going never stop thanking god for the spirit's work never stop relying upon the spirit's work don't become a mechanical christian that is just going through the motions serving in the energy of the flesh we need the spirit of god to do the work of god don't we we need the spirit of god to do the work of god remember the words of jesus when he encouraged persistence in prayer he said if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them ask? I am well aware, and I say this all the time, and I mean it sincerely, and you're going to get tired of me saying this, but I'll never stop saying this. I am well aware that unless the Holy Spirit is in here today, we are collectively wasting our time. It is the Holy Spirit. All I do is say the word all I do is preach the word and give you as much of the word of God as I possibly can and it's up to his Holy Spirit what he does individually on your hearts. Do you know how much comfort that brings me every week? Seriously, it does. <clears throat> I believe that my, my gifting runs along, along teaching, maybe a little bit preaching, but mainly teaching. I understand that. What I'm not good at is visiting people in the hospital. I don't know what to say. You know, you, you, you hear me preach long sermons. This is, by the way, this is not in my sermon notes. You hear me preach long sermons. You must realize that's when I do most of my talking. I'm a fairly quiet individual otherwise. I like to listen to people talk. I don't have, if I go visit someone, or I'm not that, my grandfather was one of those people who could talk to anyone at any time. That's not me. I say, hi, how are you doing? And I run out of things to say. And so um, many times I've gone like on a hospital visit or something like that. I speak for a couple minutes to a person. I run out of things to say, and so I just sit there twiddling my thumbs. Just, I'm, just not, I'm just not gifted in that area like some people are. And so what happens is you can feel inadequate, but we must realize, and I realize this, that my feeble efforts, though, are perfected and completed through the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Unless the Holy Spirit is in this building today, no one is being built. He takes the Word of God. He instructs our hearts in multitudinous ways, and that should give us great comfort. How often are you struck by your complete inadequateness? Aren't you, parents? Every day you're slapped in the face with, man, I can't figure this kid out. <clears throat> Does it cause you to quit? No, it doesn't cause you to quit. It causes you to throw yourself at Jesus' feet. Sunday school teachers the same way, right? So people tend, I'm going I'm to move on, but let me say this last application. People tend not to volunteer in church. They tend not to witness to friends or, host, or a host of other ministries because they feel the weight of their inadequacy this ought not to be. Because when we see, when we are looking in the mirror of how inadequate we are, it should prompt our hearts to cling to the promises of God that His Holy Spirit, the Comforter, is empowering each feeble little work that we do. No greater illustration of that we can see in the Gospels. Remember, I said Jesus' work was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He fed the 5,000 with what? A feeble offering of loaves and fishes. He fed them. How was that done? That was done through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see? So you offer your loaves and fishes to God and let Him do with them what He will. I'm going to leave it at that. Well, we got holy work, Spirit-empowered work. And we also have holy rest, holy rest. Um, the final section of the tabernacle, instructions on Mount Sinai concerns the Sabbath. So turn back to Exodus 31. We're going to read the second half of that chapter. These, uh, this section will be a little bit shorter. Verse number 12, and the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you know that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you, and you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death, and whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days work shall be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath through all their generations as a covenant for how long? Forever. I'm going to get into that in just a moment. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh he rested and was refreshed. All right, so there's the Sabbath instructions, but I want to finish in verse number 18 so I can show you how I arrived at my introduction. And he gave gave to Moses... When he had finished speaking with him, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. This is the end of the section of Moses on Mount Sinai. <clears throat> now, here's a question. Does it seem strange to you that the Sabbath is mentioned at this point? It seems a bit strange, doesn't it? I mean... It, it it's already been dealt with satisfactorily in Exodus sixteen, and it was dealt with thoroughly in Exodus chapter twenty in the in the Ten Commandments. So what's going on here? Well, the answer is this: the tabernacle was for worship, wasn't it? And worship occurred weekly on the Sabbath. And so, if the Sabbath was not properly observed, worship would not properly take place. Therefore, the tabernacle would not be properly used. And so, the tabernacle is connected to the sabbath now remembering the sabbath day is clearly important to god is it not and what was the penalty for not remembering the sabbath death right so it's important the sabbath is mentioned five different times in exodus and every time it's mentioned it's mentioned from a different perspective five sabbath passages in exodus here um we're going to learn three new truths about the sabbath that aren't taught in any of the other passages i want to give those to you first of all the sabbath comes in a new position it comes in a new position what do i mean the sabbath was tied to corporate worship this is the first time that the sabbath is connected to worship corporately and it's done by connecting it to the tabernacle the sabbath is the day when the group comes together and they worship together secondly the Sabbath had a new purpose. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath, for this shall be a sign between me and you throughout all your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. So here we see the word know. It's, it's talking about knowledge and sanctification. God makes explicit what is what to this point has only been implied that the weekly Sabbath was designed to promote the knowledge of God. God had entered into a relationship with the people, a covenant relationship in which they were to know Him as their God. And so together, the tabernacle and the Sabbath put God at the center of Israel's time and space, didn't it? The the tabernacle, if you look at the layout, if you have a study Bible, it's right in the center of the camp, right in the center. And front and center of their weekly schedule was worship on the sabbath the sabbath simultaneously looks back at creation because he said in six days i created the earth when god made the world in six days but the sabbath also looked forward to redemption when god's people would have their rest in the promised land it's looking backwards and forwards now third thing about that we see here is that there's a new penalty verses 14 and 15 say you shall keep the sabbath because it is holy for you Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. <clears throat> whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days' work shall be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. And whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. The prohibition is absolute. There's no getting around it. What does the word Sabbath mean? It means to rest or to cease to cease. It means to cease or to rest. The, the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, the Israelites are not allowed to do regular work. It's regular work here, not the extreme that the Pharisees uh, talked about. You know, like, you know, if you spit on the ground on a, in dust, it makes clay, so you can't spit on the Sabbath. You can't kindle a fire on the Sabbath, blah, blah, blah. That's not what it's talking about at all. It's talking about you can't do regular work. Now, question. Why does Sabbath, because I know some of you are sitting there thinking it, man, that's harsh. Why is Sabbath breaking, um, why does it demand the death penalty? Well, the answer is fairly simple. The purpose of the Sabbath was to protect and preserve God's relationship to the children of Israel, you see. To, to preserve that relationship. And so to break the Sabbath was, was a, an act of defiant rebellion. It was an act of defiant rebellion. It was a, it was a repudiation of the covenant. It was, it was, in essence, saying to God, my relationship to you, God, is not important. And so that's why the, the penalty was so great. You're not worth the time it would take to get to know you, God. That's what Sabbath-breaking is. When people say that, they're cutting themselves off from God, and it's only right for them to be cut off from His people, and so they were stoned. This is why, I'm going to make a transition here and pay careful attention to everything I'm going to say about this for the next couple minutes. This is why keeping the Lord's Day holy ought to be important to us. We want to know God. We want to grow in our relationship with Him, And make progress in holiness. So rather than treating every day the same, we honor God's holy day. And it's not just holy to Him, it's holy to us. Now I am not a Sabbatarian. I want to explain, I'm not going to be able to go in depth. By the way, while I'm here, I'm just going to touch on this. But no, we're going to do a series on the Ten Commandments, but I'm going to push that back until next summer. And I'll deal thoroughly with the Sabbath when we talk about the Ten Commandments. Here I'm just going to touch on things. And here's the question that I want us to ask. If, there's a, if the Sabbath is forever, and yet we're worshiping on the first day of the week and not the Sabbath, aren't we? Then how do we treat the Sabbath today? How do we treat the Sabbath today? It's a subject of disagreement among Christians. Right? Some believe that the Sabbath has been so fulfilled in Christ that we're no longer obligated to rest one whole day in seven. Because we rest in Christ, trusting His work for our salvation, we find the true rest that God has promised in Christ. The Sabbath was just a shadow of things to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ, and so every day is equally holy to God. And in a sense, that is true the problem with that view and a lot of people who hold that view is they try to say that the sabbath is limited to the ten commandments and it's not sabbath keeping went all the way back to creation genesis 1 2 and 3 right and verses 16 and 17 also tell us that the sabbath is an eternal covenant all right so how do we treat the sabbath well god's holy day is to be kept in perpetu- perpetuity to understand how this applies to us we need to remember that the new testament in the new testament the church in galatians six sixteen is called the israel of god okay we're the israel of god god's promises to his people israel are fulfilled in the church of jesus christ so where do jews come for salvation today not outside the church, but inside the church. Not apart from Christ, but in Him as their Messiah. So where will God's holy days be honored? If it's to the church that we come for salvation, it's to the church that we come to, for Christ, because we are the temple of Christ, then it is in the church where God's holy days will be honored, in our corporate worship when I say that. Okay? Okay? So now when we get to the New Testament, <clears throat> we find very early that the church cherished Sunday as a day of rest and worship, right? It was, it was on the first day of the week that the Holy Spirit was poured out. We find in Acts 2, 1-4 to that it was on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost came 50 days after Passover, and it was on the first day of the week. So Pentecost came... Um, on the the day of uh, the first day of the week, it was on the first day of the week that the Christians came together to break bread and to present their ties and offerings. In 1 Corinthians sixteen two, we see that Acts twenty and verse number seven. Sunday was their Sabbath, but rather than calling it the Sabbath, what did they call it? They called it the Lord's Day to show that they were now under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so here's a question then. We have this Old Testament command that the Sabbath is to be kept perpetually, but the, the early church came to celebrate on the Lord's Day, on Sunday rather than Saturday. Why did they do that? Who changed the day? The answer is Jesus Christ. What gave the apostles the right to change the day? The answer is they didn't change it. Jesus changed it. The only thing that can change the day of God's command was something significant as creation itself, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the resurrection was on Sunday. The giving of the Holy Spirit was on a Sunday. And so God transformed His holy day from the Sabbath to the Lord's day by raising Jesus from the dead. He accomplished this new exodus on Sunday, the first day of the week. And so from then on, people of God, both Jews and Gentiles, observe Sunday as a day of rest and worship. The Old Testament people of God were looking forward to salvation. It was only right for them to have their special day of worship at the end of the week. But um, <clears throat> in, in anticipation of the coming Savior. However, since Christ has come, we begin our week. We don't end our week. We begin our week by worshiping God on the day of resurrection. We don't keep the Jewish Sabbath in all its particulars and with all its penalties, but we do honor the Lord's Day by ceasing from our regular work, don't we? This is not a regular day. This is a day when it's different from all the other days. We come together. You should be in Sunday school. If you're not, shame on you. I have to make that plug on the pastor here. Um, And you're here to worship God. You're here to hear His Word being preached and taught. And so um, this is a day when we devote ourselves to the pleasures of knowing God. So the Lord's Day is for looking back. We look back to creation when God made the world in six days and rested. We look back to Easter when, when Christ rose from the dead on Resurrection Day, when God gave us life by raising Jesus from the dead. And then we look forward on the Lord's Day to our everlasting rest, and I can't wait for that. The Scripture says there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. We are resting from works trying to please God because Jesus pleased God perfectly in our stead, right? But we are also looking forward to a permanent, eternal rest when we, we have our home in heaven in glory with God. We find our rest in Christ who's done all the work for our salvation. He kept the law. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. And now by trusting what he has done, the believer has ceased from his work. We trust what he has done. And we we know peace. We've entered spiritual rest. And there's a peace that comes because we know that we're accepted and justified by God. And one day, we will enter our full and final rest. But in the meantime, as we... Before that eternal rest, we rest on this day and keep it a holy day before God. Now, as I said, I'm not a Sabbatarian. I just want to end by giving you blessings of the Lord's Day. What are some of the blessings of the Lord's Day? What are the blessings that we have as a church that nobody else has on Sunday? I know some people who don't know Christ are thinking one of the blessings of Sunday is watching NFL football. That's not a blessing of the Lord's Day. What's a blessing of the Lord's Day instead is that we are spiritually refreshed. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This is a refreshing day for me. There, there, at the end of the Lord's Day, there is a joy in my heart because I, I have been ministering to people for a good part of that day. I've been able to impart the Word. And I, what I hope And what I trust is that it's a refreshing day for you as well because you've heard the Word of God. You've had your minds taken off the the willy-nilly here and everything temporal, and you've had your minds lifted to eternal things. Your hearts have been lifted to eternal things. The Lord's Day is a vacation for the soul. It's a day to revel in the wonders of God and the mysteries of His Word. It's a day to regain perspective Before we launch out into another week with all the difficulties and distractions of daily life, we take a day to remember who God is and who we are in relationship to Him, right? One of the day's primary purposes is to help us to know God. And so to that end, the Lord's Day is for worship, especially public worship, Nothing we do makes a bigger difference in who we become than worshiping with the people of God every week. We begin with music, we hear scripture reading, we hear about ministries and missionaries, and then we worship and we hear God's Word. But the meeting weekly with God in corporate worship provides an anchor for our whole spiritual existence, doesn't it? It does. Secondly, it's a blessing of physical rest. This is important because the last thing most people need is another day of work. We're living in an accelerated culture when everything is moving faster and faster. Look, I was on vacation uh, a week ago, right? But my phone was still getting all the emails. It's the only time in my life when I can just choose to ignore the emails coming in. It's great. (laughs) The only problem is they're still sitting in my inbox when I get back from vacation. But you know what I'm talking about? Yet for all of our labor-saving devices and time-saving products, we do more work and have less spare time than ever. The Scripture says that on the seventh day, God stopped and rested, and we do the same thing on the Lord's Day. We stop working, and instead we rest in God's peace. We stop producing and rest in God's provision. We stop accomplishing and rest in our identity in Christ. Let me tell you something. The work will be there tomorrow. You are in Christ today. You will be in Christ tomorrow. Tomorrow's the day of work. Today's a day for you to rest in Jesus Christ. We stop acquiring and rest in God's care. We stop worrying and rest in God's sovereignty, don't we? And then a third blessing of the Lord's day is evangelistic witness. Honoring God's holy day is one of the things that ought to distinguish us from the world. Now, when I grew up, when I was a child, Most people went to church on Sunday. That's not true anymore. Very few people go to church on Sunday anymore. In Culpeper County, I can't, well, I'm not even going to try to remember the stat because it will be wrong. But it's, it's a very low number of people in Culpeper County that go to church every Sunday morning. Honoring God's Holy Day is one of the things that distinguishes us. Outwardly, we're like our neighbors in many ways. We keep, keep up our lawns, we go to work, and uh, we, we have uh, f- functions and everything else. But um, inwardly, we're very different. And the Lord's Day is a clear sign that we belong to the covenant community of God's people. Simply by attending worship on the Lord's Day, we are making a public confession of our faith. Okay, i got to stop in just a minute, but let me say this. This is a thought that just hit me, and I've got to say it. It's going to get increasingly difficult for you to make that public declaration. And what I mean by that is it's going to be, there are increasingly going to be consequences for your public declaration. And what we're going to find is that there are a lot of people who were cultural Christians and not true Christians. And so you're going to see falling away in the United States of America because people Do not want to endure the consequences of what it means to claim Jesus Christ. Are you ready to claim Jesus Christ? Because the consequences are going to get more severe. This public proclamation that you make every Lord's Day. When our neighbors see us in our Sunday best, they know we're going to church and this provides a spiritual context for our relationship with them. We make a statement whenever we tell people that we can't do something on a Sunday. Like work an extra shift. Show up for a baseball practice or a soccer practice. Sometimes this invites opposition or even ridicule. This is to be expected, but it also gives us an opportunity to explain that nothing else is more important to us than honoring Jesus Christ. Is that where you are? Nothing else is more important to you than honoring Jesus who bought you? So what we learned today, Your gifts, your skills and abilities were given to you by God. He decided before the world was created exactly what he was going to impart to you. Use it for God's glory. My question is, are you? Are you using it for God's glory? What is the Holy Spirit calling you right now to do? We we have financial people. We have all kinds of different ways that you can minister to people in the body that need help. And secondly, we learn that we rest in Jesus Christ. And we get together to worship Him so that our minds get focused on what is most important, which is eternal things, and pull our minds away from the distractions of the temporal, everything that's going to pass away. Isn't that wonderful? Lord, I thank You for Your Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I, I can't I can't even begin to express how thankful I am for the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that everything that we do at Providence Bible Church and everything that we do individually as believers throughout the week when we're not gathered will be done in the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. And I pray also that we will rest in Jesus Christ that we won't treat this time of worship as, well, I I punched my time, I, I put in my time, and now I can go do what I want to do, but rather we'll revel in Jesus, revel in the glories of our salvation and the glories to come, and this will be a different day than all the other days of our week. And above all else, as I've already said, may you be glorified in everything in Christ's name. Amen.